Our scripture tonight comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For anyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Amen. So now that we're in the Christmas season, it allows me time to reflect and reminisce on past Christmases, uh, Christmases that are memorable for, for great times, Christmases that are memorable for not so great times. But I'm going to let you in on uh, my most memorable Christmas was Christmas of 2007. I was uh, 16 years old. Uh, I just turned 16 in June of that year. I hadn't got my, um, my first car yet. And so I thought this Christmas was going to be the one. I was going to get my first car. I couldn't wait. I remember my grandparents had kind of talked about possibly getting me my first car uh, for Christmas. And I was so excited. All my hopes and dreams were pointing towards December 25th. So excited. About a month out from Christmas, about mid-November, I make a, somewhat of a comment to my grandmother of how excited I was. <laughs> we were one month away, and I was ready for my car. And she made a comment to the effect of, I'm sorry, Al Michael, just the, the funds aren't here this year. Uh, we're not going to be able to get you your car. So I was disgusted. My was so, I mean, I was so heartbroken. I thought, I thought my, all my hopes and dreams, my life was over. I was never going to be cool. was never going to be able to go hang out with my friends on a Friday night. Never was going to take a girl out on a date. None of this was ever going to happen because I wasn't going to get my first car on Christmas Day. Completely heartbroken. But I also knew that my grandmother is someone who loves Christmas. She loves Christmas surprises. So maybe what she's doing is she's downplaying this. <laughs> So that when she does give me my car, the excitement will be that much greater. So I was like 50% disgusted and heartbroken and 50% hopeful that I was still getting my Betty Sue for Christmas. I'd already named my car. So Christmas comes around. And I don't know how you all do it, but we do it at my grandmother's house. We open presents one at a time. And everyone gets their turn so that my grandmother can take a picture of everyone opening every single gift. Maybe you all do it that way. So it was my turn. It was finally my turn. We came around the circle. It was my turn. My grandmother, she, had, she got her camera out. She was ready to go. My mom, when I, when I touch this gift, my mom whips her camera out of her purse, reels it in on me. My Aunt Heather, she rips it out of her purse. She's ready. All eyes on. I remember hearing my sister lean over and whisper to my dad, is this the one? And I heard her say it, and I was like, yes, it is. <laughs> Yes, it is. This is it. Now, this, this was no bigger than just a little box. I knew that the car wasn't in it, but 
the key was. Oh, I was so excited. My hopes, my dreams, my future, all those Friday nights out with the boys, all those dates that I'm going to go on in this car. It's now, I know the car sitting in the garage with a big red bow. The only, keep me, the only thing keeping me from that was the wrapping paper, which didn't take long to get off. Reckless abandon. I tear that wrapping paper off. I throw it across the room. I'm holding this little box. And I open up this box, and there was a pair of binoculars. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, my face just dropped. All the cameras were on me. Everybody was staring at me. I thought this was my moment. So much suspense and anticipation for the biggest letdown of my entire life. It was awful. It was so bad. I even remember looking at my grandmother and saying, what am I going to do with a pair of binoculars? I was so frustrated that I couldn't even say thank you for this gift. I was completely distraught. And just to go ahead and finish the story, my grandmother just handed me the wrong present. The next present was the actual key, but obviously there was less suspense for that one because we all knew that was coming. But, oh, I was so disgusted. Have you ever had a Christmas like that? I know we all have where you get that gift where you're like, what am I going to do with this? I mean, that Christmas where you're like, you're expecting a million dollars and you get a pair of socks from Walmart. Or even a Christmas where you were expecting your first car and you got a pair of binoculars. How did you react in that situation? I was ungrateful. I was disgusted. I can only imagine how my grandmother felt when I made that comment about the binoculars. It was less than satisfactory of a response. How did you act to that? What if you were the one giving the gift? How did you feel when that person wasn't grateful for that gift? Did that hurt your feelings? Did you feel like you never want to give them a gift again? What this all falls back on is idolatry. And more than any other time of the year, this time brings out that sin. It's between Thanksgiving and Christmas, it brings it out. And you can think about it, all the planning that you do that comes into getting the house ready, all the the food that you're preparing for, you want to make it perfect for every single person. The stress you go through financially to make sure your kids get the, the, the presents that they want. And you get so stressed and you get so tired and you get so overwhelmed that you're burnt out on Christmas before it even gets here. What this is, is it puts the idea of Christmas over the meaning of Christmas. And it happens so easily. So tonight, what I'm going to talk about is a gift worth giving. This gift was not a gift given by me. This gift was not a gift given by you. This gift was given by our Heavenly Father. And this gift has a name. And he has the name above all names, Jesus Christ. He was given to us. And there's three different truths that I'm going to mention in this sermon. The three different aspects of Jesus as a gift. And the first truth that I want to bring out is the gift of Jesus as sacrifice. The gift of Jesus as 
sacrifice. And the first, the first passage I want to pull out is John 3.16. And John 3.16 we know is, is the most popular verse in all of Scripture. It's, it's hard to go anywhere and find someone who doesn't at least know this verse in Scripture. And the reason that is, is because this verse is so foundational, but it's so transformational. This verse is the basis of Christianity, but it's so theological and so rich. And it reads like this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. That could preach itself, amen. Goodness gracious. What, what kind of love are we talking about here? I want to I give you three examples of love in the Greek. All right, the first example of love is a love called eros. And what this is, it's a, it's a passion. It's an intimate type of love. It's where we get our word erotic. And that kind of helps you see what this word, what kind of a love this brings. The second type of love is phileo. And phileo is where we get our name Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And that's the kind of love that phileo displays. It's a, it's a brotherly love. It's a fondness. It's a bond uh, that, that two people share that's not like eros. And then you have this third different type of love, which is called agape love. This love is attributed by God. And as I was, as I was preparing this sermon, I was thinking, how am I going to, other than just give the definition, how am I going to explain the difference between these three types of love? And I found a quote by a biblical scholar. His name was A.M. Hunter, and he said this, Eros is all take, phileo is give and take, and agape is all give. And I think that hits the nail right on the head. This agape love is is a giving love. It's a giving because you have to, because you are driven by pure love. You are giving because you're not expecting anything in return. You love this person so much that you give all and get nothing back. That's agape love. And this word agape is used so many times in the book of John. It's used 36 times. It's more than twice as many as any other book in the New Testament, except for the book of 1 John, who this author also wrote, and he used it 31 times in that book. This was an important topic for John. This agape love he wanted to, to teach us about, that is exactly what we need to get from this, this agape love. And so what did he give? We know he gave his son, Jesus. That's what this passage says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and he gave him. He gave him as a sacrifice. Now, the Old Testament is full of sacrifices, and these sacrifices usually consist of the killing of an animal of, of pure nature to atone for their sins. And they're killing this animal for God. And one of my favorite uh, stories of sacrifices in the Old Testament actually isn't one of an animal. It's one of a son, Abraham, and his son Isaac. You see, God told Abraham, he said, I will provide you a sacrifice Abraham said, okay. And God said, but I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac. And so as they march up this hill, Abraham, knowing what he's about to do, Isaac does not know what he's about to do, and he's, and he's saying, God, 
Or, Father, where is this sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will provide one. And so he gets him on the top of this mountain, and he lays his son Isaac on this altar. He rears back his knife, getting ready to sacrifice his own son to God as a test of obedience. And God slays his blade, and a ram gets caught in the bushes close by. God provided that sacrifice. But you see, Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son for God. God was willing to sacrifice his son for us. Would you be able to do that? I'm not asking you that as a, as a, as a, as a spiritual ruler. I'm not asking you that because nobody's asking you to give up your son. But I want you to think for a second how difficult this would be to give up your son. Imagine you were going fishing out on the ocean. You took your son and one of his friends. And you're out there and you're having a good time. And then all of a sudden this big storm comes through. Knocks your son and his friend off of the boat. You have one life buoy. And you don't have enough time to throw it to both. If you throw it to your son, the friend drowns. If you throw it to the friend, your son drowns. What choice do you make? Again, I'm not asking you to truly answer that in some sort of spiritual ruler, but I want you to think of the difficulty that had to have been for Abraham to be willing to offer his son as a sacrifice and then for God to be willing to sacrifice his son. And to take it a step further, this passage says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I think oftentimes we miss that. I know I do. He gave his only son. It wasn't like God had another son that he could just fall back on. He gave his only son. This itself furthers the act of love. That there is no sacrifice too great for you. He gave his best. He gave the ultimate sacrifice. You were worth it. Jesus was a gift worth giving. So what purpose did he send him? And this brings me to my second truth. The gift of Jesus as salvation. The gift of Jesus as salvation You see, in verses uh, 17 through 18, it says this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. This passage tells us that Jesus came to save us, not condemn us. I want to make that clear. His purpose was to bring us salvation. He was given as a sacrifice to give us salvation. And I think a lot of people struggle with that. But here's the deal. The people that were not following God, the people that were not in his will, those are the people who Jesus came to save. When I was, before I was a Christian, I was, I was dead to sin I lived a lie. I was at church because my grandfather was the pastor. And I, and I put on a, a nice facade there so that everyone thought that I was this godly, good teenager. But outside those walls, I lived a lie. I let sin control me. I stayed in darkness. But that's who Jesus came to save. 
the ones who allowed sin to control them, the ones who are lost and wayward. He came not to judge, but to save. Less than a month after I got the job here at Grace, I'd say it was late April, early May, there was a, there was a 21-year-old man. He was walking from Old Fort to the Ingalls in Marion. Now, for those who don't understand how far that is of a walk, that's an extremely, that's a long trek is what that is. And so being late April, early May, it was hot outside. The summer was on the brink. And on his way, on his, uh, on his path, the church is right here. So he stopped him to get a drink of water, sweat pouring off of him. So we decided to give him a ride. And so I volunteered to, to go ahead and take him. And we got in the car and we were talking and we had good small talk. I got to get to know his name, kind of what, what's going on in his life. And then he asked me a question. He said, do you know a lot about the Bible? I was like, I hope, but I said, we'll give it a shot. You know, I said, I, I can't promise you I can answer it, but I'll, I'll do the best I can. And he said, okay. He said, it seems strange to me that God says, follow me or you'll go to hell. He's like, that doesn't seem like love. He's like, that is what the Bible says, right? And I says, well, look, man, it says a lot more than that. But continue with your question. He said, the reason I don't think it, that it's an act of love is because it's like it's an ultimatum. Like, do this or you'll be condemned forever. He's like, to me, that doesn't, he's like, that doesn't seem right. And I said, well, look, the truth of the matter is, regardless of you ever walk in these doors, for a lot of the people who are sitting in here, everyone sitting in here, we were destined to go to hell. That was our rightful place. But what God has done is he has provided a sacrifice to bring you salvation so that you don't have to suffer that. That's love to me. He didn't have to. He did it because of this agape love. He was driven by pure love. And so he gave the ultimate sacrifice for you. There was no sacrifice too great for you. To me, that's love in the fullest extent. And so we've established that that's why he came. In Luke 19, 10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. But what about condemnation? Do you think that my friend's question was legitimate? I think it was. I think it's a question that a lot of people struggle with. So even in the midst of this salvation, there's condemnation. Verse 18 says this. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So Jesus came to save, but there's still condemnation. I'm going to explain it in my third truth. My third truth is the gift of Jesus as light. The gift of Jesus as light. To finish off this section, verses 19 through 21. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. 
For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And see, we know that Jesus is the light because if you flip over real fast to John 8, 12, this is what it says. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus clearly states there that he came as the light. I'm going to throw another passage at you. In my Bible, it's just one page over. John 9, 39. What this story is about is it about it's a man who was blind from birth, and Jesus came and he healed him. The Pharisees didn't believe that Jesus healed him. And so they cast this man out. When Jesus heard he was cast out, he came back to the man. And this is what, this is what Scripture says. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. For judgment, I came into this world. But wait a second. We just read that he did not come to condemn the world. So is he contradicting himself? No. He is not. I'm going to show you why. If we could, can we get all the house lights down? All right. Well, you all are in darkness. I'm not so much. I didn't take into consideration the Christmas lights, so it blew up this illustration. But look, imagine these Christmas lights were here. We would be sitting in darkness, right? That's what this is. It's darkness. All right, you can turn the lights back on. Thank you. (laughs) So now we have light. And see, Jesus came as the light. Now, just because we have light in here, this is a trick question. Can you see everything? Mm Mm-mm. If I have this big, bright spotlight shining on my forehead, right in front of me right here, what's directly behind me? My shadow. In the midst of a light being shined, there is still darkness. What does that mean? In the midst of salvation comes the implication that there's condemnation. With the idea of being able to choose to stand in the light, you have the opportunity to choose to stand in darkness. So Jesus came as the light to seek and to save the lost. But there will be those who walk in darkness. There will be those who find condemnation. That's what that means. So where are you tonight? Are you finding comfort in this darkness? Is there a sin that's weighing you down and controlling you? You feel like you're in control, but you know you're not. Now, what if I told you, this is a USB cord. Everybody knows what a USB cord is. What this does is it can either be plugged up to charge your phone, but what it's usually used for is to transfer information from one piece of technology to the next. Right? So, what if I told you that you could plug this side into your Bible and this side into your brain? (laughs) Think about it. And what if I told you you could do that and you could program yourself to do all the right things, everything in Scripture, 
You do it, right? You make that choice. But if you had the choice to always do what is right, to program yourself to do what the Bible says, what do you also have the choice to program yourself to do? The opposite, sin. You can choose to program that too. You would have a choice. You have a choice now. It's right here. You can make that choice without this USB cord. You can choose to walk in the light or you can choose to walk in darkness. I have found how easy it is to walk in darkness. It's comfortable. It's easy. It's more fun. And I think we truly believe, and I've, and I've truly believed this in the past too, that we think that we find judgment by coming into the light. We find judgment for being exposed. But let me, let me tell you the truth right here, right now. In darkness is where you will find judgment. In the light, you will find forgiveness. You will find peace. You will find love. You will find understanding. The difference between the two are night and day. See, Jesus came as a gift. He was a gift worth giving. And scripture even tells, he even tells us that, it was, that he was wrapped in swaddling clothes, wrapped like a gift, as a baby. Then as a man on the cross, he was wrapped in sin and judgment so that you didn't have to. That's a gift worth giving. And understand this, that's a gift worth opening. So what does all this mean for you? Maybe you are someone who's recently been walking in darkness. And there's just sin that's just weighing you down. But you won't come into the light because you're afraid of being exposed. You're afraid of someone judging you. You're afraid of finding judgment here in this light. If you're afraid of the person beside you judging you, please understand that everyone in this room struggles with sin. You cannot be judged for that. In the light, you will find an all-loving Savior who gave everything for you. Maybe you're here tonight and you are someone who, who puts the idea of Christmas over the meaning of Christmas and you know that's a weakness you struggle with. Let me tell you, the meaning of Christmas is the birth of a gift worth giving. It's the birth of our Lord. It's more than lots. It's more than presents. It's more than ham. It's more than all of that. It's about a God who gave his son as a sacrifice to bring you salvation and to help you walk in light. That's what it's about. And so as the band comes forward, to kind of close this out. For any of you who are walking in darkness and you want to come forward and you just want to pray with, with one of us that you've been struggling with some kind of sin and you want to kind of get it off your, off your, off your, off your back, back, yourself, Adrian will be down front. And something else we're also doing tonight is along the altar here, 
We have prayer requests that have been uh, given to us from the food pantry. And we, we, we help these people get food and, uh, and all that. And then we also give them the opportunity to, to pray with us and then write down prayer requests. And so what we're going to do tonight is if you just want to come and pray over one of these cards, one of these prayer requests that has been given to us, then you're more than welcome to do that too. But feel free. Know that this is a judge-free place. We celebrate life change. We don't judge it. All of us have at one point walked in darkness. Some of us still walk in darkness. Jesus wants to free us from that. Dear Lord, we praise you for sending your son to die for us. We praise you that you sent your only son because you loved us so much. We praise you because he died for our sins so that we don't have to face that judgment. You are an all-loving God. Lord, I praise you for rescuing me from darkness. And I thank you for saving me from the weight of my sin. Lord, and I want to lift up everyone in this room. And whatever individual thing that they're going through, any spiritual battle, Lord, I ask that you continue to encourage them, lift them up, feed them with your spirit so that they would walk in the light with you. For it's in your loving name that we pray. Amen.